0: Well, this morning as we open up God's Word together, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to turn with me once again to the book of Psalms. Now, I know before I left for the trip overseas, I stated that that would be our last week in our study of the Psalter, in our excursion, summer excursion in the book of Psalms. And I, indeed, at that point, I thought it was going to be our last week. But upon returning, I've decided for a couple of different reasons... That one more week in the Psalms is in order. And then next week we are going to plod into new ground as we open up and begin a study of the book of Zechariah. And so if you want to be reading the book of Zechariah this coming week, you can dip your toes in that. Should be a fun and challenging study as we look at what the ancient prophet says to God's people And so that's coming next week. But for now, for today, for the next few minutes, I want to focus your hearts, our hearts, on Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is a psalm that is a beloved psalm. It's both timeless and it's both appropriate for us in this season here at Ascension. As I thought about this psalm this week, it's a message in part kind of half of it is i think specifically aimed at our young people our young people who are charting the course of their lives and asking the question what is my life going to be about and then part of the psalm is for seasoned folks those who have walked with christ for a long time who are now pouring into the lives of others. And of course, there's some overlap in between those two things. Like the last psalm we looked at, Psalm 131, which is where we were, I think, four weeks ago. This is a psalm of ascent. It fits into that group of psalms that God's people sang as corporate songs as they walked towards Jerusalem for the festivals for worship. But unlike the last psalm that we looked at, Psalm 131, this is not a psalm of David. This is a song of Solomon, David's son. It's one of only two known Solomon psalms, but as you might suspect, it is a psalm of wisdom. That was Solomon's ask of the Lord. That was Solomon's gift from the Lord, was was wisdom. And so we're going to look at Psalm 127 for the next few minutes, hopefully to your benefit, all of our benefits as we open up God's Word together, as is our practice, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 127, short psalm, just five verses. Listen as I read. The fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and be seated. Psalm 127. If you looked at your bulletin, you saw this three-letter Latin phrase. Nisi Dominus Frustra. Nisi Dominus Frustra. As many of you know, my wife and I just returned from a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to tour the United Kingdom. We visited the northern part of England, the Scottish Highlands, Wales, it was an absolutely amazing trip. So much beautiful country, so much rich history, particularly for us as Presbyterians. One of my highlights was standing in John Knox's church, standing next to the pulpit where he proclaimed the truth of God's word to God's people so many years ago in Edinburgh. Unfortunately, the vibrancy of that church is pretty much gone. It's now basically a tourist attraction, though I think they do hold some formal services there on a weekly basis. That vibrancy has been replaced by really what is kind of a nod to an era past, a church age once long gone. Long gone are the days of the 17th century when the founding fathers of The city of Edinburgh gave their city the motto, Nisi Dominus Frustra. It's a Latin phrase that means simply this, without God, frustration. Without God, frustration. It's a truth that's drawn exactly from our psalm, this morning, And it's the first of two truths that I want us to look at for the next few minutes. The first one being this, a life apart from the Lord is wasted. A life lived apart from the Lord is wasted. Now that might sound harsh to your ears, but folks, it's the truth. See, Solomon wants to remind God's people of a simple but fundamental reality of the world that we live in, the reality that we so easily forget, or at least we can so easily forget in our day-to-day grind. And it really shouldn't surprise us that it's Solomon who wants to take us here, right? Solomon, who wrote extensively in the book of Ecclesiastes about the nature of life under the sun, says this in Ecclesiastes 2, I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so here in this psalm, Solomon used these phrases, unless the Lord, twice, three times, Vain, unless the Lord, vain, unless the Lord, vain, vain it is. And in doing this, Solomon, in his God given wisdom, gives us, leads us to four consequences of a life that is lived without God. And I want to walk through them briefly with you as we work through the psalm. First of all, there's no purpose. A life lived without the Lord has no purpose. Simply put, the only hope for a life of purpose and meaning, a life that isn't a waste, is a life that is lived in and through Jesus. It's why we're here this morning. It's why we order our lives, our very weeks around Him Young people, you are not a random collection and combination of evolutionary tissue. You have been made, you have been designed by a loving creator for fellowship with him and for his glory. And only he can meet your soul's longing. So life without him, life with your back turned to him is really no life at all. And this is where it all starts. It all starts with laying down your pride, laying down your resistance, laying down the sin that has separated you from God and trusting in Jesus the one who said as we talked about earlier says I am the resurrection, I am the life. So a life apart from God is wasted because it has no purpose. But Solomon goes on, there's also no production. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. There is a lot of things that we build in our world. We build physical things, physical structures. We build careers. We build relationships with those around us. We build communities. We build families. But in everything we do, in everything we build, it will be fruitless if the Lord is not in it. There's a great example of this in our own history as a nation. At the Constitutional Convention of 1787, Ben Franklin, who was not a Christian, I don't think, but he was a deist who appreciated Christians, he delivered a speech, and and I want to read a portion of it to you. He says, I have lived a long time, he's 81 at this point, And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor it in vain." I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without His concurring aid, we shall proceed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little, partial, local interests. Our prospects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. Even the brilliant Ben Franklin recognize the limitations of man and the need to depend on God. Now, of course, God is not building a nation. God is building a kingdom. But could it be as we hear some of these words of our founding fathers that that our success and our prosperity, at least in part, can be attributed to the fact that at least at some point, we did declare in God God we trust it is still on our money right at least for the time being so one of the challenges this morning is this are the things that you are building the things that you are investing in the things that you are pouring your lives into are they things that the Lord is concerned about as well We know, for instance, that he's building the next generation. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Second half of the psalm. We know that he's building his church, not just physical structures, but living stones. You and I, as Peter declares, being built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. Are these some of the things? Is the church something that lies close to your heart? I know that not everyone is called to be a full-time worker in the church like me. But we are called to be the church. And of course, this truth extends to all of our callings in the world. Wherever God has put you, whether it be designing Computer programs, manufacturing product, fixing things, selling real estate, managing people, crunching numbers, homeschooling kids, anything built without the Lord, without His blessing, without His guidance, without our dependence upon Him is ultimately a waste of time. That's what Solomon in his wisdom reminds us of this morning. It's a call to God-centered labor. But then he continues, not only is there no production, no purpose in a life apart from God, but there's no protection. Listen again to the psalm, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The first city that Ann and I visited in our trip away was the city of Chester, England in the northwestern part of England and it's surrounded by a wall that you can walk on top of indeed we walked around the entire city on top of this wall it was a wall that was begun in the first century when the Romans occupied that part of Great Britain amazing and it was finished in the 12th century and it was a wall that literally surrounds the city and it's 15 20 30 feet high Because it provided protection from marauders from the north. And this is how ancient cities were, right? Ancient cities were walled fortresses, including the city of Jerusalem that these people of God are walking towards as they're singing this song. And they don't have radar, they don't have... Modern technology. And so watchmen are posted in the corners of the city to watch for approaching danger. That's what he's talking about here. The watchman stays awake in vain unless the Lord watches over the city. Now, we're modern people. We know a thing or two about security. We live in a broken world, right, where it's easy To be anxious, I feel the anxiety. So we buy locks, we buy alarms, we buy insurance, all for the sake of feeling safe and secure. And I'm not knocking those things in and of themselves, but Solomon calls us to recognize again this morning that locks or no locks, airbag or no airbags, your safety is ultimately dependent upon the Lord. And this brings in to focus that beautiful doctrine which we could spend weeks and weeks unpacking, that great doctrine of providence. That we are always in God's fatherly, providential hand. That he is holding this world together. He is holding your world together. Every inch of your world, every second of your day, he is holding together. Never are we alone. Never are we on our own. Brothers and sisters, this ought to humble us to stop placing our trust in ourselves and in our perceived ability to be safe and to daily place ourselves in the hands of the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who watches over us. It's not protected unless the Lord's involved in the protection. So without the Lord, no purpose, no production, no protection, and finally, no provision. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Two kinds of people are introduced here by Solomon. You have the anxious workaholic. Getting up early, staying up late, thinking that all provision is dependent on him or her being exhausted at the end of every day. And then you have the other person, the beloved. The beloved who who aren't lazy, but who recognize that ultimately is the sovereign God of the universe that will provide for their needs. Sure, they walk in wisdom. They walk in diligence. They walk not as a sluggard. But ultimately, they trust in the Lord. And they sleep. And they rest. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Do not be anxious about anything. The Gentiles, they run after those things. But you don't need to. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. So brothers and sisters, like Psalm 1, there are two paths set before us in this psalm of wisdom. Psalm 127, in these first two verses, there's this way of human autonomy, doing your own thing to varying degrees with little or no regard for God or his will, or the way of discipleship the way of a God-centered life that rests secure in God's care, that strives to submit to Him in all things, knowing and acknowledging that He is behind it all. Which path will you choose? And I'm I'm not speaking of intellectually, because I know most of you, and I know intellectually which path you choose. But the challenge is to choose that path practically, right? The challenge is to choose that path tomorrow morning when you wake up and are overwhelmed with your workload. When you start your day and your week does not start as you hoped it would. Will you cry to Him? Will you look to Him? Will you acknowledge that you are not an orphan, but you are His beloved? You are his child. Don't live your life apart from the Lord. It's a waste if you do. That's the first two verses of this psalm of wisdom. But as we come to the latter half of the psalm, it seems like a whole different psalm, doesn't it? As we start, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. How does Solomon go from from unless the Lord builds the house to children or a heritage to the Lord. Well, we don't exactly know, except for the fact that if you think about the Jews singing this song, if you think about them thinking about their lives and what they're building and what they're passionate about protecting in their lives, what would come to mind for a lot of them? The little ones who they're holding their hands or carrying in their arms, their children. And so it makes sense that they would rejoice in the gift of children. And that's the second truth that we want to look at briefly. A life invested in children is fruitful into eternity. A life invested in children is fruitful into eternity. Now, lest you turn me off at this point because you are single or an empty nester, or you've never had children even though you wanted children. Let me tell you that this point includes all of us. It includes all of us because of one of my favorite words that I bring up again and again, the covenant. The covenant community of God's people. God has brought us into covenant with himself, and he's also brought us into covenant with one another here at Ascension. And so children, not just our children, not just my children, not just Anna and my children, not just your children, but all these children are not a waste of time, but they're worth building, they're worth protecting, they're worth providing for. Psalm 127 reminds us that there are rewards from Him, blessings showered not only upon families, but upon this church. Author Susan Hunt writes this. She says, The church's children are indeed gifts from the Lord. They are a sacred trust, not just to parents, but to the kingdom. We must shape them as a warrior shapes and stabilizes his arrows and then carefully aims them at his enemy. And of course, that's what Solomon says. That's why she's speaking like that is because Solomon says that among other things, our children, these children are weapons. They're weapons that need to be shaped and fashioned and straightened Right? Spurgeon reminds us that arrows aren't born arrows. He says, "...sticks are not by nature arrows. They do not grow so they are made so. By nature they are knotty and rugged." But by care and skill and patience, they are made smooth and straight. And when children are formed by hard work, by prayer, by God's grace, by the promise into lovers of God, they become champions of God's name far beyond us. Right? And we want Ascension Presbyterian to exist long after we are all gone. That should be our desire this morning. Children are weapons for the kingdom of God, weapons to be invested in, not just by their parents, yes, by their parents, you're primarily responsible, but also by us. Now, you may know where I'm going with this. You have some opportunities, we have some opportunities to recognize this truth and to press into it. Discipleship hour starting this fall. Teachers and assistants and aides. We need you. CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship, Austin's talked about it a couple times. It's an outreach that we're, we're hoping to begin and to use as a way to connect with children in our community, with families in our community, those who aren't part of the covenant yet, but need to hear of the promises of God's Word. Now, I know that not everybody here is gifted to be a teacher Not everyone is gifted to stand in front and teach, but there are other ways that you can serve. There are other ways that you can help. Because a life invested in children, not just your own, but a life invested in God's children is fruitful into eternity. Psalm 78, I've read this. I think I preached Psalm 78 at one point. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And so I would encourage you to think about how you might invest, if you haven't Already, if you're not doing this already, in the lives of our children, fruitful into eternity. Psalm 127, it's a short psalm, but it's packed, full of wisdom. The Lord must be the center of our lives. Otherwise, you're wasting it. And in addition to centering yourselves anew on God, As God gives you the opportunity, pour into the lives of children their heritage from the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the wisdom of your word. We thank you for the experience of your servant Solomon. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would take this, that you would encourage our hearts. No doubt there are those here who are anxious who are toiling much, feeling like they're spinning their wheels. And they need to be reminded of your care for them. They need to be reminded to cry out to you and to center their lives and their hearts on you. Father, certainly for our young people as they chart the course of their lives in pivotal years to come, we pray that they would not be able to escape this truth despite the lies of the world, that they might hold fast to what they've been taught, to what your word proclaims. And Father, as a church, we want to be faithful to the next generation of worshipers, those who will declare your name and spread your fame long after we have turned to dust. Oh, Father, would you show us, would you give us wisdom? Would you raise us up that we might be used by you to pour into the lives of those whom you call precious, those whom you call your own. Father, we thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.